Don't at me, but Netflix and chill is a totally valid excuse not to make your party. Super sorry about it. After the music break, you're going to be hearing from Ted Sarandos, the chief content officer for Netflix, low-key my boss, and me. I have to give my introduction, man, because I don't know who doesn't know who you are, but in case they don't, you're Ted Sarandos, and you're the reason why we can all Netflix and chill. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Justin Simeon. I'm the host of Don't At Me. I made a thing called Dear White People. Sorry. But the most important thing I get to do is I get to talk to really fascinating people that honestly, like... Because of what I do, I never get to sit down and talk to people. So this yeah. is a treat for me, man. Oh, it's a thrill for me. I'm honored yeah. to have you here. Okay, so you're the chief content officer for Netflix. We'll get into what that means. Um, your parents didn't come from entertainment. No, no, not neither at all. did mine. Yeah. yeah. So you went from you. So you went from um, Glendale to video store. Yeah, I, dry, I didn't, and I didn't. I didn't even finish Glendale. I just did two years. Two years at Glendale Community College, spent all my time working on the on the newspaper. Wow! And didn't get any enough credits to, to even get I a, was a newspaper kid my, too. To, yeah. Well, I feel finally safe enough to admit that I am actually one biology course shy ah. of my <laughs> <laughs> undergrad degree. Sorry, Chapman. Um, okay, you I, I guys tell be, me. I used to be kind of embarrassed about, it, but now it's kind of like a badge of honor. Yeah, now it's kind of like, yeah. yeah. Well, what are you yeah. going to do? <laughs> you know, my mom was very. Is probably still a little. Doctor Simeon is. Uh, shout out to Doctor Simeon. I think it was still a little bit upset about that biology course, but you know, what of are we all the do? things to be short with. But she's also yeah. very proud. Yeah. Um, okay, you got to talk to me about the video store, man. How do we go? How do we get there? Was that a step of freedom? Was that like a well? I guess I'm going to do this now. Like, what was that in your mind? It was a part time job, and yeah. it was just a you know, complete fluke. The second video store in the state of Arizona opened about a block from my house. Uh-huh. We grew up very poor. Right? Yeah. I don't know how, but my mom, but the one thing we always splurged on was entertainment stuff. Yeah. So when we barely had electricity for, but my mom thought it was important. We had a VCR. Dude, it's, <laughs> so, it's the priority. Yeah. Yeah. So the store opened up and I would go in and talk to the guy who opened the store all the time. And I was a total movie nerd and a movie fan. And we talked about movies all the time. And the guy who opened the store was this guy, he moved, he worked as an air traffic controller in Chicago. His name's Dale Mason. Uh-huh. And he read in a magazine that the big businesses of the 80s was going to be video stores and yogurt stores. Wow. And he said, I hate yogurt and I love movies. <laughs> so he, he, and he hated, he hated his job. At, Both at, came remarkably true, I have to yeah, say. Yeah, it's true. Right? It's okay. true. All right. And uh, he hated his job as an air traffic controller, which if you ever met him, you'd say, this is not the guy who should be an air <laughs> this traffic controller. This is not for you. Okay. No. <laughs> Uh, so he like he has no arms, <laughs> right? Like it, which yeah. by the way, I'm in support of. Yeah, you know, yeah, I just I can't right. figure that's out right. how he does it. But, yeah. good but for he him. did a uh, so he saved his money, moved to Phoenix, opened this little store, and it was you know probably few, not enough people had VCRs to have even support the store at the time. Wow! So, but it got it started growing, it started growing, it started growing, and I used to go in and spend so much time just hanging out there as a movie nerd. He mm-hmm. said, do you want a part-time job? Yeah. So I was, just, was doing that part-time while I was going to school. And and I had this, like, um, 
this great thing because the stores are empty all day. Uh huh. So you could just watch every movie Whatever ever you made. So, so when you say like movie nerd, what are you talking about? Are we talking about Star Wars collectibles? Are no, we talking no. about Cahiers du Cinema? Like no, what kind but of weirdly, I was not into sci-fi and yeah. like, like Star Wars. I remember people in line at Star Wars and me just kind of, what are they doing? Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> One of the few. Yeah. So what but, were you nerding out over at the time? Uh, you, you name it. I mean, I remember for like Do- Dog Day After. I remember seeing like a movie like Dog Day Afternoon mm. that really like kind of opened my eyes about how. How, how what an important role movies play in society and culture. Yeah. Was that the one for you that kind of made you go, whoa? It was a, actually there was a bunch do. of small movies. She's got to have it. Yeah. And Brother from Another Planet. Mm-hmm. Heard of those. Both are, of those. those were the two movies, honestly, <laughs> that kind of uh, like said, wow, there's a whole different kind of movie too. Yeah. Because I used to watch you know a lot of popular movies, and I remember seeing those movies thinking. I remember watching. She's got to have it the first time, thinking, mm-hmm. "Wow, the the music the music's loud." You yeah, know what I mean, <laughs> and they're talking over the soundtrack, the score, and that they, when they're walking, they're not walking. What's he, what's going on? Like, yeah. the, and it's in black and white, and it was beautiful, and it just felt to me like those two movies were showing me, you know, just showed me that it was a different. There's an art form here too, right? I too, you know, I I too remember video cassette tapes, and for me, it was Eyes Wide Shut. It, that was oh, the yeah. movie that sort of made me go, "Oh, movies are." Oh, they're they're on a total. They can be on a totally different level because yeah. I, I hated that movie with every fiber of my being because I was like fourteen and I yeah. didn't understand why <laughs> why is this going so slow and right. why is that room blue and this one's orange and then by the time you know the guy is chasing Tom Cruise down the street, I'm on the edge of my seat yeah. and I'm like contemplating all of these existential things that are probably too much for a fourteen year old yeah. brain. But I realize like, oh my god, a movie can do this to a person. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a powerful feeling and that for sense sure. of discovery is really powerful too yeah. I think television for me was mostly an escape mm-hmm. and eventually movies became that too but started with TV for me which is that you know we I had five brothers and sisters my parents were really young we didn't have money and it was like my parents were like um, when I look back at their time I figured wow they were really young to be raising kids Yeah, and it was chaotic all the time but of course it was chaotic my my dad had four kids in his by, and he's in his 20s wow. wait so and how many kids in your household again? We, we were, I'm one of five one of five yeah. okay Wow. Um, my brother child. unfortunately passed away about a year ago, but but my that. yeah, but anyway, so I would look at TV because their life seemed way better. Yeah, the people in the box, <laughs> yeah. and I was just I spent all my time you know watching them. Yeah, and and I don't think I don't think anybody really lived as like they did on, on TV now sure. as an adult when I look around. But I, it was a, a nice way to get away from the chaos. I thought, yeah. And, uh, so I wanted to be. You know, in the Cunningham family. <laughs> wow. I, I, I'd even take the bunker house. <laughs> yeah, isn't that something, man? Because yeah. I remember, you know, I watched I watched different stuff. It's like I, The Wiz was the thing that I rented over. And there was yeah. like one copy of The Wiz at the Blockbuster video around the corner from my house. Yeah. Sorry to mention another one, but you, you know, know. they're gone now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I, but it was the same tape, and I was the only one renting it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it'd be, like, it'd be like if in the old library days where you could pull the card out and see your oh, name. Oh, yeah. Over over. It <laughs> was all me, you know. And yeah. it was like, that was like five years of my life that's where i escaped i went to black oz sydney lamette yeah. sydney lamette he played such an important role for both of us dog yeah, day and dog the whiz yeah. shout out to sydney lamette all right so you got to take me now to we go from part-time job at the video store to you're sitting in front of reed hastings and i feel like you know i've read the articles about how you kind of just glamored him in that interview and just was like yo here i am you know, and, it's actually a very funny. So the thing between the video store and meeting Reed yeah. was I, an epiphany, which was I from the time I was 12, I thought for sure I was going to be a journalist. Mm. And my second year of community college editing the newspaper, realized that I wasn't a very good writer. 
<laughs> and I didn't know what to do with that information because uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I didn't have a plan B. Yeah. I really thought I was going to be Lou Grant. You yeah. know? So the guy who ran the video store is that the, guy, the, the first guy I met at the time. Now, his his stuff's blowing up. Yeah. So he opened nine stores around wow. town. He's Superstar Video is the name of those, uh, the okay. chain. And We're I- like a couple years in- What's that? We're like a couple years, couple years in. in. Yeah, it. and mm-hmm. I told him that I was gonna, you know, I eventually I was gonna go on to college, I guess, and do the figure out what I wanted to be. Right. And he said, uh, oh, I was hoping you'd kind of take things over for a little while, because during that time period he had two kids and his wife was mad that he wasn't ever home, and and he kind of gave me the keys to a chain of video stores wow. to run. Wow. And I and so I that's what I didn't dropped out of school and I took that over, and for me that was like. Film school and a business and an MBA course all thrown into one. hundred percent. And it was super low stakes. So I'm managing everything. Yeah. Doing paying payroll tax, negotiating leases, programming the stores, doing marketing, and and with no experience whatsoever. Sure. So it was this great education. And I got so so after I did that for a couple of years, I figured out that what I wanted to do was something in the more in the entertainment business on the studio side. Likely marketing is what I was leaning into. Mm-hmm. And went to work for a home video distributor who the one who sold the movies to the blockbuster stores and everybody. Got it. Yeah. And was there mm-hmm. for about six years. And when Blockbuster opened and they started getting so big, they eventually went to direct distribution with the studios. Right with the studios. And cut out companies like ours. And we went from we were a billion dollar company. We did a billion dollars in sales probably 700 million of that to Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. So when they went direct, they pulled the, you know, the rug out from underneath the company. So they spent a, a year and a half just shutting down things, which mm-hmm. was a terrible way to work. Yeah. Uh, and wound up going, leaving to go back to video retail, this, a chain called West Coast Video and Video City, which is kind of like Hollywood video. Sure. So I took this role, get to LA, and about a year into it, I did the first revenue share deal on DVD in the in the industry, okay. which is, doesn't sound like that big a deal today, but it was in the in the, it got into the trade magazines and Reed Hastings, who had just started Netflix about six months before. Wait, but break that down for me. Yeah. You, you you sorry, the first revenue share deal. What break that down for the kids at home? Yeah, who don't know what that means. So interestingly, in the, part of the early day, in the early days of DVD, they were trying not to disrupt the VHS rental business. Mm-hmm. So Blockbuster didn't have any DVDs in the store. So they took four years to put DVDs in Blockbuster shows, sure, which yeah. is a big reason why Block, why Netflix got successful on DVD in those early days. Because you guys had the jump, or Netflix had the yeah. jump on them. So if you were into it, the only way to find movies really was used to use Netflix through the mail. Mm-hmm. So for me, so that the, why that mattered really was, and what it means to do revenue share deal is that you pay a very little fee up front and then mm-hmm. pay the studio every time you turn the disc instead of buying it and selling it, or right. buying it and renting it and, and keeping all the money. Right. And so it, able, it enabled us to expand the inventory fast because we didn't have a lot of cash and to duplicate the, in, the inventory of the store. Mm-hmm. And so Reed got it. Reed sees this in the, a trade magazine and says, I, I should talk to that guy. Yeah. Because Netflix was, you know, uh, basically a tech company and mm-hmm. they really knew uh, the engineering and Consumer science and all those great things, but didn't know that much about. And wait, the we're in, we're in like nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. We're like in the Matrix era. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're like all the kids. <laughs> like how you benchmark the calendar. Yeah. <laughs> we're in the Matrix uh, era. I mean, I remember yeah. this because you're right. The only way to get your hands on DVDs for anything was Netflix. Yeah. Like you couldn't you couldn't go to Blockbuster yeah, and like a movie nerd as I was at the time yeah. too. Anything that was foreign or older or like you know yeah. just not. The documentary, thing, forget that. Yeah, yeah, anything that didn't come out last year, basically. Right, right. You had to kind of, you kind of had to go to Netflix yeah. if you wanted it in, in good quality and you wanted it, you know, in your brand right, new right. sub HD screen. I don't remember what was hot at the time. But if you bought a Blu-ray, if you bought a DVD player, you cared about what 
yeah, quality, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. You wanted to watch everything on DVD. Yeah, because that yeah. was that was the hype. Okay, right. cool. So yeah. you so Reed is like, okay, I gotta talk to this guy. So there was and there was a, a guy who I knew through my old video store days who was then working at Netflix. Uh, his name was Mitch Lowe. He's the guy who started Redbox and mm-hmm. MoviePass and all that stuff. Uh, and he introduced me. He called me and said, Reed would like to meet you. And I did my very first e-commerce transaction, which was to buy that airline ticket to go meet Reed. Wow. And, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and by the way, I cannot imagine a world where an airline ticket can be bought in any other way, I have to tell you. <laughs> like the thought of going to an airport and buying a ticket, I, I will admit my age, I have I, that sounds like a nightmare. How about going to the mall and meeting, no. go to the travel agency? Absolutely not. <laughs> like can't imagine it, don't want to. Yeah. Um, all right, so you, but you're on the road here. You got the, you yeah. got the airline ticket, you go see Reed. What's that, what's that interview like? Are you nervous? No, because I didn't think it was an interview. Oh. I, I just thought it was more like a, you know. So oh, like a pick to, your brain. Yeah, kinda, pick your brain kind of uh-huh, talk. Uh-huh. And, I, and I was kind of fascinated with it. I had, got, I had, when I bought a DVD player, my first knowledge of Netflix was there was a little card inside the box that basically was 10 free DVD rentals uh-huh. to join Netflix. I remember and that I, card too. Yeah, and I looked I at that and I thought, oh, that's pretty clever. And I was thinking about it as a way to incorporate it into the stores because mm-hmm. people would love, you know, hate it to return. So I'd say, you know, if you could watch the movie, come in, get the movies, and then we give you the envelope and you can mail it back. I was mm. thinking that's what that's actually what I wanted to talk to him about. Yeah. And we wound up having an incredible conversation. I'd never met anybody like him. In 1999, he described Netflix almost exactly like it is right now. Wow. And wow. at that time, the internet was way too slow to support anything like this. So he know, saw it video. as a streaming service. Well, at the time, it was pre-streaming, so he right. just basically thought about it as a download service, but uh-huh. digital distribution. That's right, 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 right. And, and he said to me at that time, he said, you know, every bit of filmed entertainment that comes into the home will come on the internet mm-hmm. in 1999. Wow. And I was thinking to myself, that is insane. It's matrix, guys. Well, because I was thinking, you know, at that time, if someone emailed you a video clip, it took you a week to open it. Oh, there's, sure. There's no way you're going to watch oh, a movie God. like I this. I was so patient then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I marvel at like yeah. my inability to like stand subpar Wi-Fi right now. When I Back in the day. You would sit there forever waiting oh, for the buffer. Yeah, it'd be like three hours to see like the new whatever video had just come out. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. So for him to think about things that way, it seemed almost crazy. It seemed like a, you know, so, so abstract I couldn't even wrap my head around mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he said, no, the... Moore's law would m- means that the internet's going to get twice as fast at half the price every 18 months. Mm, and it mm-hmm. followed that almost exactly. And he said, and we had this thing where the whole business at that time was rooted in how much postage costs. Mm-hmm. So at some point, he's, it will be cheaper to download the movie than it will to be just it. to mail it. And wow. Which was, so at that, when you think about it in those terms, we had a real incentive to you know to get to digital distribution. Did anybody else know that? Did anybody, was anybody else thinking about that at the time? I mean, did anybody uh, else see it coming? I mean, no one who said no. I, I think nobody said it out loud. But Reed, uh-huh. you know, that's what. Yeah. And, that was, that, and he really, it stuck with me. I'm always suspicious of people who say they're going to change the world, mm-hmm. but I bet no one ever did it without saying it first. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and 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 we, Reed and I, stayed in touch. Every once in a while, I just call and say, "How's this going?" He'd ask a question. I ask him a question. And then one day he calls. He had offered me kind of casually, you should come to work with us. You should come to work with us. We we're doing some exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and then one night he catches me at a perfect time. I was in Philadelphia, miserable cold in a shitty hotel. Okay. Uh-huh. And he said to me, he goes, why, you know, I really, I want to talk to you more seriously about this job. Why, you should, why are you not taking it? We, we, have, we have so much going on. You know, This is a perfect time. And I went through this whole list of why I wasn't entertaining this job mm-hmm. offer. Mm-hmm. And, and he, I said, look, I've got – 
I just came into this company. There are two broken companies. I'm trying to put them together into one good one, which is almost impossible. My, I just fired my whole team because they, won't, they were stealing. I mean, oh, I'm, God. I'm renegotiating all the deals with the studios. And he's like, well, it sounds like they need you there. And I go, yeah, yes, they need me there. And he goes, you know, you're needed feeding starving children. Why aren't you doing that? <laughs> and that wow. and that and that's when I fell in love with the, him. the old starving children gambit. <laughs> yes. Okay, but it, and I, honestly, no, but it's true. But it's that logic. And by the way, that was the same clarity that he said that mm. all the inter- film entertainment was coming on the internet. And if it's a hundred percent, you know, it's, and it, by the way, it was true. Yeah. Why wasn't I doing those things? Yeah. Why was I leaning into the, the that they needed me more than I needed them? Sure. And, yeah. So anyway, that's and that was the beginning of it. And so, I so when you started there, you had already caught that vision, right? Like yeah. of this is gonna this is gonna change the world. Yeah, and I wasn't. You know what he said too that was really brilliant at the time was that at that time there was a lot of debate about digital distribution to theaters mm-hmm. and who was going to pay for it, the studios or the theater owners. Mm-hmm. And in that conversation, I remember like yesterday, he said uh, the reason why they keep fighting over it, no one's doing it, is because it doesn't matter that it's really cheap to move prints around. Sure. That's the cheapest thing a studio does. Yeah. So wh- why would they invest in that? Well, if you really wanted to fix the movie studios, you fix marketing. Mm-hmm. And that Netflix was going to be a play a big role in fixing marketing by having algorithmically driven mar- marketing uh-huh. that would know that I loved Spike Lee and okay. I'm going to show you that movie. You got to break that down for yeah, me yeah. and for all the children listening at home. But before you do that, Ted. Yes. I have to go to break. Okay. You'll be right back with Justin Simeon and Ted Sarandos. Don't add us. Thank you for listening to this KCRW podcast. In case you don't know us, KCRW is public radio in Los Angeles, bringing the best of NPR to Southern California. We're also known for our own brand of bold and innovative programming, evocative storytelling, taste-making music, and audio documentaries that are little movies for your ears. You can join our community to support this show and others, or make a one-time donation just to say thank you. Find out more at kcrw.com join. And we're back. <laughs> what everyone doesn't know at home is that that actually just took a second. Now, you've been listening to an ad warp. or something, but uh, for us, it was it was instantaneous. Okay, we're back. Okay, so you got to break it down for me. So tell me what you just said, Ted, because uh, I'll be honest with you. Like, I, I got I to gotta get that. I, I got to get that. Yeah. It's not just for the kids at home. So you're saying the studios are broken because the marketing isn't working. And read at the inside that Netflix is the is gonna help fix that. Tell me that. Explain that to me. So I'd say that the marketing it's about it's about efficiencies and inefficiencies. Yeah. So if you're a movie fan and you don't live in New York or L.A. Yep. And let's say you're a, a foreign film fan. Let's say you're specifically a German language foreign language. You know, and Sony Pictures Classics is distributing this great German language film, and it's showing in your town in one theater. Mm-hmm. So they have to cast the net across that whole state, probably, to get the ad place to find you. Right. And and because th- it's so imprecise, it's completely imprecise. And now we're you, talking about commercials. Right. And so now it worked. And... You went and bought a ticket. Yep. And then the and next week, another movie comes out. They have to do it all over again because mm-hmm. they don't know where they still don't know where you are. 
So at least with what Netflix was, prom- you know, the promise of this at the time was once it figured out that you like foreign language films and you like German films, those films would be front and center for you. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't like those kind of movies, you may, ne- you may never see them. Right. And I don't have to buy an ad on the Super Bowl to try to find, you know, 25 people to go see that movie. Right. And it was a good, again, back to the video store lessons. I used to always marvel at the idea that we couldn't make one copy of a Woody Allen movie rent often enough to pay for itself mm-hmm. in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And maybe that, maybe that shouldn't be a surprise in Phoenix, Arizona. Sure. But I, I thought, well, surely this- like, There's enough it, fans. There's enough there. fans, right? Yeah. And the, what I figured out was that the trade radius of that store was about five miles. People will drive about five miles to, to get something they want. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, it's just too far. So there's not enough Woody Allen fans in that five-mile radius to pay for that tape. But if the trade radius was bigger- so basically the idea was you could have one copy of a movie in a thousand stores and none of them make money. Mm-hmm. Or you could have a thousand copies in the middle of the country and all of them make money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And ne- Netflix was that. It was a national distribution point so that you could have those efficiencies of mar- of, of distribution. Okay. And then the next one was you needed efficiency of marketing so that in a list of – we had every single thing ever made on Netflix at that time. We had 100,000 movies, mm-hmm. so which is an impossible thing for anyone of to course. navigate. Yeah. So take the things that are relevant to the individual user and put them on top all the time. And this is 1999. It's 1999. This is some Matrix shit. Yeah, it, yeah. It is. Yeah. Y'all algorithmically <laughs> programming us. So, did you, so was the thought here it's like we were going to fix Hollywood by like selling this algorithm to them or – or like basically handling it on the home video side. I mean, what we're doing today, it was hard to imagine then. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the the global relevance of, sure. of it all. I would not have guessed back then. I We had barely toyed around with the idea of the notion of original programming. Mm-hmm. So our thought was that eventually if we get a big subscription service like HBO – why wouldn't we have Sopranos and but use DVD to distribute it? Right, so, right, and that, right, right, right. But that's that it was that abstract in 1989 when we talked about it. Yeah, yeah. So the content stuff was still on the horizon. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's interesting. So when did that come into play? Like when did that become part of the vision? We started streaming 11 years ago, and basically wow, we had nothing to watch. Yeah. So <laughs> so movies were all the movies were sold. Uh huh. To all the different paid TV services. Uh-huh. The libraries were sold to TV networks and channels. So basically all we could license was movies that weren't otherwise sold. Mm-hmm. And so the collection of things to watch was really silly. Uh, and, then it, and we had a couple of little gems that kind of worked their way in there, that, uh-huh. um, orphans. Like HBO wouldn't take, didn't have to, and their contracts didn't have to take foreign language films or animation. There's a bunch of different things that would they were exempt from the deal. Right. So we went into the studios and made deals for those things that that they that HBO was passing on. Right. And on a really unusual lucky break, HBO passed on La Vie en Rose. Oh my God. And, and uh, Devil's Backbone, the wow. Guillermo del Toro movie. Yeah. And so and Pan's Labyrinth. So Whoa. Have, oh come on HBO. So we were able to pick them up and and so all of a sudden we have like movies that were in the movie theaters recently on Netflix streaming. Wow. And at the time we remember we used we were giving away that service. Yeah, it was to, just with part DVD. of the DVD. It was and, like a bonus. Yeah. yeah. So those things slipped through. There's a couple of really uh, really cool there's a movie called uh, the um, Open Hearts, Suzanne Beer's one mm-hmm. of her early movies. But and and that was kind of the the thing that was again distinguishing Netflix from everybody else. These things now these are movies that you may never heard of, but blew your mind. Yeah, like, I mean, Pan's Labyrinth, for obviously for obvious reasons. But I remember Guillermo told me that he has never met anyone 
who have seen Devil's Backbone that didn't see it on Netflix. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's kind of mind-blowing, yeah. actually. That's mind-blowing. Yeah. So that's like, that's the proof of, of what you're talking about. It's like, this is a thing that surely there are more fans of. Yeah, definitely. And it needs a way to get to it. And we had the whole country to draw from. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. people, I think, were joined. Then we're, they had this great value proposition, obviously, as you can rent, you know, any movie ever made, and you keep three at a time, and it's, you know, it's all that kind of... Uh, kind of seemingly unlimited entertainment for, you know, low low cost. Yeah, yeah. And the internet brought all the efficiencies to make that possible. Wow, man. And so so the first the first original was House of Cards, right? Yeah. But the first one to the first deal was House of Cards and the first thing to launch was a show called Lilyhammer. That's right. Lilyhammer was, was the first one from Norway, yeah. And then House of Cards came and then we had Orange is the New Black. Black. Was that Arrested like a development. Were we all terrified at this time? Like, were we like, this is going to work, guys? Or what, what was the vibe? So, you know, I remember the industry was very, as they always are, very, like, gossipy and, and yeah. trepidatious. And is this going to work? We don't know. There was a lot of shade. Yeah. There was a lot of shade. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. that. It was, it was smart of them to uh-huh. dismiss us on to this To be one. shady. Because yeah. <laughs> we never did anything like it. You know, right, we, right. we never launched a brand. Everything we had on Netflix prior to House of Cards and Lilyhammer were – reruns for other people that the brands were already created Mm and uh, we were drafting off of other people's brands yeah so with house of cards it was this unusual opportunity where this company who we were dealing with the mrc who produced like the borat movie and the uh the bruno movie and Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they had this weird thing where they maintained they kept the rights to those films outside of the pay tv deals Uh so that's uh that's what we were having a conversation about when house of cards came up and they said look do you want to come hear our pitch for House of Cards, we're taking out to networks. Uh-huh. And we had about 25 million people streaming on Netflix prior, you know, about right. this time. It's not too shabby. Yeah. So I thought, <laughs> and so they said, I go, what is House? I go, the House, the British House of Cards? Because I knew that I loved the sure. British original. And he said, no, we've got, yeah, we took that and we've got a whole new take on it. And we've got this guy, Bo Willimon, who's nominated for the Oscar this year, for uh, who, who wrote, the scri- wrote the scripts. And we have David Fincher directing, and we have Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright to star in it. I've heard of some of these people. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, it seemed like, and I, I, and I knew the original show, and we read the three scripts, which were amazing. And I thought, man, if we were ever going to get in with a kind of a no-brainer opportunity, this is it. Right. This is the, this is a, there's no such thing as a bulletproof package, but this is as close as we're going to get. And I thought about it and thought about it. And I said, you know, if this doesn't work, if we can't launch our own shows, we will have dramatically overpaid for one show, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm, we're mm-hmm. always at risk of doing, mm-hmm, even in the mm-hmm. old, in the second windows. Sure. And if it does work, we could fundamentally change the business proposition. Yeah. What I think people don't always get about you that I get because you know you're my boss, but also <laughs> because we're talking here is that I mean you really you have a passion for the content. Yeah, I love it. And content is you know it's it's kind of a it doesn't even do that just you have a passion for the work you know yeah. for for the movies and for the shows that you're making and i remember that's when netflix clicked for me because you know my bestie lena waith and i mad men was our jam that's what we want that was yeah. you know these two black kids <laughs> watched us some mad men and we would like obsess over it but when house of cards dropped it was a whole situation. <laughs> it was like, don't talk to us. Like, Lena would come over, and we would spend the weekend together, okay, as if we were, uh, you know, together, all right? But we are platonic husband and wife, and we would just watch the show and obsess over it. And it really did sort of, I don't know, for me, it, like, cemented that habit of, like, binge-watching. It's something we were doing already, but, like, that's when it clicked for me. And that's when it was like, what else you got? And it was funny because that – and it really is – it wasn't just a change in distribution. It was a change in creative is creative storytelling. Absolutely. Because it is chapter. It is the first show that was ever written 
to be watched in multiple episodes. Yep. And without commercial, not not without commercial breaks, but without artificial cliffhangers. Yes. So I said, look, you've we, we had, because it was competitive, we wound up doing this deal, which is now you know then looked at as pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. We're giving two season commitment uh, with no pilot. And basically, what I said was, if you know you're when you start when they wrote the first hour, they knew there was going to be 26 hours. Right. Knew for sure. Right. So there wasn't this whole right for your life thing going on where if I don't if we lose the audience this week we get canceled. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. they so basically it played out like literature mm-hmm. and it, in chapters like you said and and so actually changing the writing process I think changed the watching process too. Yeah. Now so so the algorithm as I understand it it's all about figuring out what you specifically like and building kind of patterns for you you being the sort of you know royal you the individual viewer so this is this is rap I mean I I feel like I don't have to say how and why I mean we're all living in the age of Netflix it's rapidly changing the industry it's obviously changing the television industry I mean it's completely changed it it's changed it for people like me like creators who I think you know, when I was knocking on the doors and like, you know, I wrote Dear White People, the first version of the screenplay in 05 and was working on it until 2012. Even at that time, 2012, 2013, there there just wasn't a space for it in people's minds. There right. wasn't a, you know, the comps for it were like from 1989. Like right. I, I would always reference Robert Townsend and Spike Lee and people were like, those movies haven't been made in 20 years. Right. And so, you know, that was like all I could. And so we kind of got it into Sundance, did what I have to do to do that. But Netflix gave me a shot. Uh, it gave me a personal shot to put something out there that, you know, there didn't seem to be a lane because you guys have, you guys are saying, well, we don't need the highway. Right. We we can just sort of like go over the highway right. and get to wherever you are. And that complete that's opened the door in so many ways culturally, especially for black people, because you know, I didn't have to have proof that the show would you know what I mean? I didn't have yeah. to have all of those typical things to get the show on the air. And I feel like between myself and Atlanta and Insecure and all these shows, you know, Terrence Sands has a show on HBO. I feel like we wouldn't be in this space if it wasn't for the changing of the industry. Yeah. My question is, what, where is it going in your mind? Is there like a, is there like a mecca? Is there like a mountaintop that you're trying to reach, or you know, what, what's it about for you? Like, what, what, what gets you excited about it? Yeah. You know, it's. It, I think the opportunity is that Netflix is big. We, our, you know, our typical members watches Netflix a couple hours a day, yeah. every day. But yet we're still a pretty small percentage of total screen time. Mm-hmm. People still play, you know, spend a lot of time watching, playing games and you know, hanging out on social media or watching th- watching regular television or doing right. their things. And so I think the opportunity to get more great things to watch and have more connection, more connection with, with the viewer is yeah. still untapped. Because you guys are and, like, I mean, it's like 15 gajillion dollars I think we're investing next year. <laughs> Something um, like that. <laughs> could I have some? Can you just give me some? <laughs> like, give you some. Love, like, you some. <laughs> maybe 20 bucks I could borrow. But like, what what is the, I mean, like, how much is enough, Ted? <laughs> you know what? Uh, the, the guide, we ever the guide for enough? us has been, I think that when people are, we keep putting more in and people are watching about the same, but mm. we're probably hitting some point of diminishing return mm. where I think right now is because it's individual. So a lot of people look at this and go, well, Netflix has like 70 scripted shows and that's too much, but you know, relative to any other network, maybe, but Netflix is like, if you think about it more, more like just Netflix is my television mm. mm-hmm. and that's how I watch TV. And, and I'm trying to make something that you love and you're, spouse loves and your next door neighbor loves and your kids love. Mm-hmm. So what, unlike everything else, like typically in television, 
people kind of age out of networks. Mm. They, they come in watching PBS sure, and they're watching sure. Sesame Street and they age up a little bit and they watch the Disney Channel mm -hmm. and they age up a little bit more and they go to Nick and, and then, then they, they get, age back and they go to back Fox, to Disney God Channel. Forbid. And then kidding. they get the Fox. <laughs> <laughs> but what's happened, we saw with Netflix early on is that we just had different shows that people would just age through, but they never left Netflix. Mm. So you guys are really looking at the long run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So I think what my thing is, I, I want to, I want if it's Saturday night and you want to watch something that you have high confidence that you're going to find something you love on Netflix, and we've still, you know, and now we're and we're doing that for the whole world, right? And we're in every country now except China and North Korea and Syria. Wow. So and people's tastes, I mean, as it's fascinating how similar they are, mm -hmm. but it's also totally fascinating how different it is country to country. So, so, so it does require a lot of variety of programming. Is there anything that the algorithm has not done yet in your mind or still needs to be, you know, not to say, you know, obviously it's working, <laughs> but like, is there any, like, obviously every company has to continue to grow and evolve and improve. Like what's on the horizon? If you can talk about any of that stuff, like what are we trying to get it to do next? There's a, I mean, there's a Holy Grail one, which is like more mood driven. Mm. Cause you know, it's, oh, sure. Cause it's pretty interesting if you think about it, like if you tell me, 25 great comedies that you love. I, I can suggest a comedy to you pretty easily. Yes. But it doesn't help at all if you're not in the mood for comedy. Yes. So for trying to figure out a way that if you are watching Netflix on a TV at 9 p.m. on this TV and what the things that you're watching on that device at that time consistently, mm -hmm. would that change what we show you on that device at that time? Mm -hmm. You know, Can we tell that at four o'clock, the kid picks up the iPad and is watching only kid stuff? Why not have that Netflix appear to be only a kid service to them on sure. that device at that time? So it's, it's kind of really it, hard to do, but- It's almost like programming. And you yeah. know, even though you still get a selection of everything that you want or lots of, of choices- Yeah, what do you make the front page look like? Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting yeah. because I have to, I mean, I've, Oh my God, it's embarrassing. Like I have all of the things, okay? Yeah. I can watch anything I want at any time. <laughs> and the amount of time my boyfriend and I spend deciding what to watch yeah. is insufferable. <laughs> so if you can work yeah. that out, that'd be great. <laughs> that yeah. would be awesome. And, and it is, that, you know, and I, I and there's something between, there was, there was a really interesting uh, commencement speech somebody made this year about how the how difficult it is for people to choose this generation of people to choose. <laughs> it's a lot of choices, and, and it's a combination of having a remarkable amount of choice anyway. Mm -hmm. So there's some unique human nature about um, you know what do you you know being crippled by choice, mm -hmm. and then the other thing which is uh, you're less like when you have all that choice, you're less likely to commit because you know that there's something better. Yeah. So it's all yeah. that thing that's happening. That's and, absolutely yeah. it. This has actually happened many times. Yeah, okay, me. with me and Rick, where we're like. Okay, yeah, yeah, let, let's put a pin in that, and let's just keep scrolling. And, you know, five hours later, we just go back to the original <laughs> pin that we put in. Um, so that's great. So if yeah. you guys could hurry that up, that'd yeah. be really helpful for my relationship. And the good thing is this: <laughs> the other stuff that you didn't pick is not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. I always look at back in the early days when I was picking from videotapes what to watch. My choice was always, am I going to watch... Animal House again, or am <laughs> yeah, I going to watch something new? Something new. Or am yeah. I going to watch Top Gun? Am I going to watch something again? Yep. And I and I used to see movies mo so many times it was crazy. Yeah. There was one year uh, my buddies and I figured out that we watched either Animal House, Wrestlers Rhapsody. Uh -huh. I don't know why. Probably no one even knows that movie. Police Squad. The episodes of the Police Squad uh -huh. that were on videotape back then. But we had like a palette of four things that oh we watched God. all summer. I totally And we'd seen that. them all like 40 times. And there was never summer. a problem with it. No. Now no, I can't over and over stand again. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like, I, yeah. see, I saw that five years ago. Yeah. Okay. So 
controversial question. Yeah. Obviously, Netflix, like you got the goal is to reach everybody. Like the goal is to reach whoever's on the service. Right. So you've got a piece of programming that say it's not critically acclaimed. It's not, you know, House of Cards in the minds of critics, but it's like it's slaying the numbers like everyone's watching yeah. it. it's, it's a big hit for the for the channel does that are you, does that do anything negative to the brand do you care about that sort of thing is netflix meant to be whatever it is to me like yeah. what's I, your thought on look that at, for us i look at we're trying to create shows that people love mm -hmm. critics are people too so that is a segment of people we'd like to please as well sure but they are a segment not the driver. Mm -hmm. So when I look at that, what I want is that if people love a show, like Insatiable is the most recent one mm -hmm. that just got killed by critics. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the Rotten Tomato score was, but I bet sure. it was a uh, single digit. Right. And it's a monster hit. Right. And people love it. And they watch, and we know they love it because they watch it all the way through. They watch the whole season. Uh -huh. They watch it fast. They watch it over again. They tell their friends. And it's, you know, I would say a critical disaster and a commercial Success. Success. If we fill the channel with critical success that people don't want to watch, they sure. will not stick they will not stay around. They, right. I don't think it's a big business. Right. There was a whole thing about internet companies generally around this whole long tail theory. Uh-huh. Right. So you could have small, beloved, critical acclaimed things and the, the opportunity is to have those distributed. And I do think that's great, but I do think that in order to have a long tail, you have to have a big head. Uh-huh. And the big head can pull the long tail, and the the, tail, the bigger the head, the big, the longer the tail. Of course, yeah, so yeah. So you can support smaller, more personal projects if you have got the business driving, uh, you know, making people happy. Right. So I do think that that a show that is being crushed by the critics but loved by audiences in big numbers, uh, I'll if, I would love to have both critics yeah. and audiences. But if I have to pick between the two, only sure. I'd have to. Go, I definitely want to go with the audience. Now, does it? And there's so many examples of these movies that are literally. And, and so many critics give a Netflix movie a bad review because they're mad that it's not in a theater. Mm. It has nothing to do mm -hmm. with the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. To me, the difference between, say, Facebook and Twitter, which they're, they're dealing with controversies because their algorithms typically keep people in their own silos. Yeah. Whereas I feel like the Netflix is just about getting it past what the assumption is that you'd want to watch right. and get you something that you really want to watch. So in a lot of ways, you're kind of piercing different silos. Yeah. Do you think the Netflix algorithm is forming viewer taste in any way? Or is it is it just a reflection? Is it both? What do it's you a little bit of both. Because yeah. I think what happens is every once in a while something happens in the world. Maybe a, for, for a lot of people, the first time they ever watched a documentary was Bowling for Columbine, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. it, it was so talked about in the culture. So people watch it, and then some chunk of them said, wow, I like documentaries. What mm -hmm. else you got? Mm -hmm. And other people never watched another one. Yeah. But for those people who were opened to documentary, they they fell into it. Mm -hmm. um, Et Tu Mama, for a lot of people, may have been their first foreign language film. And then they said, okay, I want to see more foreign language shows. I want to see films from Mexico. I didn't know that. You know what I mean? So right. it does open up the world a little bit. And if you and the more you re, it's reinforced by you being more adventurous. And I think a big reason why we can do it successfully is the subscription model. Yeah. Because it'd be one thing for me to say, here's a thing that I know you don't think you're going to love, but you are. Uh -huh. Give me $5. Right. <laughs> this is like, no, just hit play. And if, you're, if we're wrong, just hit stop. Um, now, I don't really care about the listeners anymore. This one's just about me. <laughs> um, now, I, I've, I made a show for Netflix. Uh, it's called Dear White People. Get into it. But uh, some people you were not. Some people were not super excited about the title. <laughs> some people didn't like that. that well, we first, well, we first, you know, announced ourselves to the world for the second time. Catch up, people. But whatever. Some people were like, "Wait a minute, how does the algorithm get those people to watch my show?" <laughs> yeah. 
How do we do it, Ted? How well, do we you scheme? Know so here's the, I mean, and we have shown you some of this, but it's really fun to share, yeah. is that things like um, the, the, the little tile that you click on from Netflix um, there's probably 30 versions of that sure. for dear white people mm-hmm. that depending on what gets you over the hump of pushing play mm-hmm. um, that it, it, it will present to. So okay. I think dear white people appeals to a, a, actually a, quite a broad audience, but it, because the title becomes kind of polarizing, yeah. you have to get the people who, who have defaulted into a camp that aren't going to give it a chance. You can name it whatever you want. I mean, yeah. you, we could call it like, you know, Fox News, the movie. The I don't movie. care. Like, let's get them in, you know? So what are you watching right now on or off the service? Like, what's what's hot for you right now? What are you tuned into? Well, I, I have this weird thing in that I have to watch, you know, for a, a living too. So, and I'm always out of whack with the rest of the country. Of course, yeah. The rest of the world because I'm watching episodes as they deliver. So I don't get the – but now we have – we do have a lot of shows. Uh-huh. And I have a huge team of people who run them now who have total decision-making authority. So which means is that some things come on Netflix now that I haven't seen yet. Wow. And I get to watch some of them as Are a Are you allowed to watch things on Hulu? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, you know what I really, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shameless endorsement. I loved Barry on HBO. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a really incredibly well done show, wow. and I got to watch that one. I watched randomly two episodes, and it wasn't really that into it. But I, I love Bill, and I think he's a genius. And I think he's he's did that thing where how 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 does somebody do a dramatic? Someone is oh, yeah. funny, silly, and then dramatic, and I think he, he ma- mastered both. it. And I watched a couple episodes I liked. They didn't love it. And then one day I was, it was, uh, we we're in these on the East Coast, and it was raining all day. And HBO did a marathon, mm. all eight episodes. And I just tuned in Look in the middle that. of the first episode. You got to binge. It. I sat there and binged the whole thing, all eight episodes straight through. I loved it. Promise of the premise, guys. So don't at me. It's kind of like you know, uh, I'm totally stealing this from Andy Cohen, by the way, uh, who I think stole this from The View, uh, <laughs> where I'm going to ask you three questions. I'm going to actually throw at you. It's not that scary, Ted. Calm down. <laughs> I just took a gulp of water. Calm, common Netflix bitches and complaints. Yes. You can say don't at me to one of the three. I mean, you can do whatever you want because, okay. you know, you're Ted Sarandos. But <laughs> the game is that you can only say don't at me to one. Okay. And I want your honest response for the other two. All right. Can I give you answers, honest answers to all three? Yeah, of okay. course. That's the best. That's <laughs> okay. the best version. All right. Okay, so first question. Why are you trying to ruin the movie-going experience, Ted Sarandos? I am not. <laughs> I would tell you, I, I, first of all, as a fan, love the movie-going experience. Yeah. It's become a bit out of step with how people, particularly young people, live today. Mm-hmm. The idea that if you want to see this movie, that you've got to be in a seat at 8 o'clock and on the other side of town, if that's where it happens to be showing, in a world where the internet has given you anything you want, whenever you want, however you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. I mean, I think my my kids are 22, 24. They know why they have to be on an airplane seat at 8 o'clock because mm-hmm. the plane's leaving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it doesn't none of that makes sense to them. And I so I think what I'm I th- what I'm trying to do is and Netflix is doing is helping save the movie mm. movie business right. in total. Not the movie theater business. The movie theater business I think will be just fine because it's people want to go out at night and that and there's a whole experience that we don't even get involved in. And I what I want to do though is not discriminate if you happen not to live in New York and L.A. and want to sure. see a movie, why should I hold it back for you for months at a time? Well, when- because, Ted, I'm mad. <laughs> That's it? All right. I'm well, a typical good. interviewer, uh, an internet person. Okay. Second question. What are the Obamas up to? When is it coming? What are the shows? Tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really new. Um, we're just getting them um, settled into the business. They just hired a new uh, executive to run the production business with them. What you should expect from them is – 
television series and films that are entertaining with a conscious and that will that are they're in, in, that are telling inspirational stories so and and not held to any particular format so they'll work in unscripted they're going to work in film they're going to work in television uh, they'll work in documentary and it's really taking their kind of core skill of storytellers and translating it to media well, I was hoping for something a little more scandalous, but I'll take it. That sounds great. <laughs> okay, final question. When is the Stranger Things Dear White People crossover happening? The, ma- the mashup episode. When's it happening? <laughs> episode. I'm talking about a series. A series, a whole Ted. series. <laughs> I'm ready for it. When are we doing it? Is it I, greenlit or I no? Am, I am ready for the pitch. How about that? Okay. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's kind of all I got. Like, uh, I just think, you know, it'd be fun. Ted, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate nah, it, dude. I, it's a pleasure talking to you, but also, like, getting to know you better. It's an honor being on the network, and thank you for making the time, man. Uh, we love having you. Thank you, man. Absolutely, sir. All right. I want to thank my very special guest, Ted Sarandos, who, by the way, totally aced the Don't At Me Challenge. Didn't say it once. Got to thank our producers, Gina Delvac and Kara Hart. Our production engineers, Ryan Connor and Ray Warner. Special thanks to Vishnu Vallabhaneni and Josh Jacobs. Head of programming, Quinn O'Toole. Chris Bowers, the genius Chris Bowers, created our theme song. This is Don't At Me with Justin Simeon. And, you know, I I, I pick weird titles for things, guys. You can totally at me. If you like the show, if you want to think piece me, bring it. Just please subscribe at Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. It's super important. Uh, You know, I'll die or whatever you need to hear in order to hit that subscribe button. And also, I just want to hear from you. We'll be back next week with another episode of Don't At Me from the one and only KCRW. Support comes from the California Department of Public Health with a reminder that secondhand smoke can travel from one home to the next. For tips on how to avoid this risk during COVID-19 when lung health is key, go to TobaccoFreeCA.com.